Welcome to the Trail Runners Experience. My name is Matthew Woodman, and I'm your guest host for this episode because today we are getting to know the man behind the mic, Daniel Ferrugia. <laughs> Say hello, Daniel. Hello, Daniel. <laughs> good job, man. You did well. All right, so this is the first time I've ever hosted a podcast, so good luck. Um, so I'm going to jump right into it, just like, just like Daniel likes to. Um, so, young Daniel, what was the first time you ever realised that you enjoyed running? Oh, geez. Well, thanks for having me on, on my show, um, first of all, Matthew. And, um, yeah, I think that was a great introduction. I think everyone should be very impressed. You've got the radio. You're right. like John Moores. Chop, chop. Okay. <laughs> I'm just playing. No, I first realised I liked running. Um, I played soccer when I was a kid. And I, um, so from like under sevens or whatever it was, and I remember being like a pretty good soccer player, not an amazing soccer player, but I did like the running aspect of it. And any time in training, and obviously there was a lot of sprinting and stuff, and I was never like the fastest sprinter, but I was pretty quick off the mark. Like I, but my top speed, I would always get caught. But from, you know, over 20 metres, I was really quick. You know, I could get to my top speed quickly because um, I was always little. So, yeah, probably from when I was playing soccer. Yeah. And Did that, you notice you could still run towards the end of the game when others couldn't? Uh, yeah, because I think uh, my brother and I, we were always just our whole childhood, was, we were just active. Mm. playing. It was playing soccer and then like, um, that we just were active together. My brother was a really good soccer player. He um, rep did all the representative teams and yeah, I think he had a bit more of that sporting aggression than what I did and um, he was a bit older but the fact that we were just competitive with each other all the time and so I wouldn't say especially they had more endurance probably the first time I realized I had a bit of endurance was a um, I remember when I was about eight years old there was a fun run because I grew up on the east coast and there was a fun run on the um, on this beach in Jervis Bay which is a beautiful part of the world um, and where I grew near where I grew up, and there was a two k fun run, and I remember I've still got the finishing certificate. It's a little card that I got, and I finished. Um, it was a big. There was lots of people, in it. and I finished like maybe second. And um, I remember thinking I was just amazed, and I beat lots of people who were a lot mm -hmm. older than mm -hmm. me, and just like how old were you? Like eight or nine mm -hmm. yeah so it's, it's quite young mm -hmm. and so it's only two kilometers but it's that's still that's like pretty good for eight-year-old yeah i just i gunned it and i remember mm -hmm. it, i've got it somewhere it's got my time on it and i think i did it in under nine minutes you know like mm -hmm. which you know under four mm -hmm. and a half minute k's yeah. for, a, for a little tacker mm -hmm. and i was always known as like the little lad that could run fast over you know and then you know cross never grew, yeah. Just, I just I stunted my growth. I probably should have laid off the cigarettes. <laughs> That's it. Yes. <laughs> Were your parents um, supportive of you um, doing a lot of sport, or did you have to push to, um, to be allowed to do it? That's interesting. Supportive is an interesting word. My dad um, was probably beyond supportive. Like he would, he, he pushed my brother and I quite hard to, in, especially in soccer, and um, early on and he made us train at home and and he dribbling in that 
dribbling skills and running and just like he and he coached our teams at different points you know our various teams and you know i'm i'm he's, he's maltese man uh, to be honest it wasn't a, a great healthy kind of way that he pushed us um my mum was just she was happy that we we're playing and as long as we were enjoying and supporting um being like you know enjoying the, what we were doing but um yeah my dad pushed us really hard so in some ways that pushed us, it kind of broke me. It, it, mm. Well, it stopped. It takes the enjoyment. It did. It stopped me. I played soccer for about 10 years and it really, it ended up sucking a lot of the joy out of that for mm. both my brother and I. And my brother, I have no doubt that he could have gone on to play. Maybe not professional, but at a higher level. Yeah. And um, he, but he, he quit in his teens as well because he just didn't like the, the push, push, push all the time. So it really was it was detrimental to our relationship with our mm. dad, which is really sad. But he, um, I, I don't think I'm, especially during the eighties and nineties, not uncommon for parents, even today, parents push their kids too much. My parents wouldn't let me. They wouldn't. I, no, seriously, really. I was allowed to play soccer and cricket um, through primary school, but once it got to high school, genuinely, they said, "No, well, this is high school now. Yeah, you need to spend time on your study." So. You're not going to play soccer during high school. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, my my dad was the opposite. He would have had us play sport constantly. Like it was just like, and um, he was doing that. He was sort of living vicariously through our success because mm, yeah. we were both kind of all rounders at, at other sports. As we like anything we did, we did pretty well. Yeah. And you know, like, <laughs> um, and so I guess like, and he was a big so, and look. When I think back, I think some of the lessons he taught me were really good, but some of oh, them yeah. were quite toxic as yes. well. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and so how did you then get on to the running? Was that just through, um, you know, regular school sort of carnivals and things and you figure out that you can beat some people or how did you? Well, I think I knew early on that I wasn't a really great sprinter from like, I couldn't, you know, over 100 metres, I would not finish anywhere near the front if it was mm. a, at the school athletics carnivals. But it was... Um, the first time I well, there's that. Born. Yeah, pretty much, and because I was little, I, I just was I was always the shortest kid in my class, mm. and I um, I remember my first cross country race that we had to, in primary school. I think I was in year three or something, and um, where we was the first time we were allowed to compete, and I finished um, like fourth or something, and I was amazed that I finished so close to the front, mm. and there was literally like. Between first and tenth, there was only mere meters, yeah. you know, and so I was just like, "Oh, that was pretty good. I enjoyed that." And mm-hmm. like, and I got that real um, positive reinforcement from my parents, and mm-hmm. my dad was just like, "My son's an amazing runner. He's the best runner," mm-hmm. you know. And so I was like, "Oh yeah, obviously I wanted to make my parents happy." Mm-hmm. So I, oh yeah, I'll do this. And so we went and signed up with the Narrow Athletics Club, which mm-hmm. and so I. Um, they had a summer season and a winter season. So the summer season we spent doing track and field, learning. So it wasn't little athletics as such, but it was a, it was a proper athletics club. And, um, and then the winter season was um, doing cross country and it was all around. And so from about, from pretty early on, probably, yeah, so 10 or 11 or whatever, I was doing, oh no, younger than that. But yeah, I was going, and the every in winter it was, there were four different courses that we got to run on. And these were like pretty hardcore cross-country courses. The term trail running was not a thing. Yeah, I know. I remember. Yeah, it was... <laughs> Two so, Ks or something, was it? 
No, there was well, there was the option of there were three courses within each place. So there was a short course, medium course, long course. So it was like a three k, five k, or ten k. And I always opted for the five k. Mm. My and um, a couple of the guys I went to school with, and so all the way for years I did that, and um, that was where I learned how to really run. And I got to train with some good runners and um, coaches. Um, some of the courses, in hindsight, were pretty, pretty hardcore trails. Mm. You know, like um, you know, but we just call it cross country. You know, you yeah. get the rocky, running through creeks and mm. stuff, getting like muddy up to your, your way past your ankles and. Yeah. I remember a cross country that I went to the state carnival in New South Wales in about year seven, and um, still I can still picture it today how steep and muddy some of the hills were that we were. We were only like twelve years old. Yeah. And it was a four k cross country. I'm pretty sure. Um, how how steep that was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, they they do they like um, you're running and it's when you've got like two hundred boys or whatever. Mm. this because I went to state when I got to high school. Like, um, I went to state a number of times. Every single year that I was in high school, I represented at state level. Mm. And I, I um, would always finish. It was another thing. You'd have, like, there was not much of a gap between first and last. Mm. It was literally, it was a big bunch. Mm. Um, but, yeah, just the, the all these legs. I just remember yeah. having this vision. And because especially in high school, again, being the shortest in the group, and probably the last one to hit puberty, all these they're guys, all they've all got like hairs on their chest and, mm. and they're growing beards in year nine. And I'm like mm. this little whippersnapper that's trying to just hold on and not get trampled by these big guys. But yeah, but yeah. actually that reminds me, that, sorry, for going back to the question about when I realised I was, you know, running was a thing. Mm. So it was in high school, like they'd done it a bit before that, but in high school, my, I remember I had a really good race. And it was, I went to the zone, which is like the district cross country. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, I was representing my school. And it was a 5K track at this place called um, Gibbs Farm or Willandra. It's, and it's been used for years as a cross country course. If you Google it, it's still used as a cross country course. And I, um, I thought, oh, gee, I'd like to do well at this. And the top eight went, would go on to the next mm -hmm. stage. And I remember... I took off and I was just, again, swamped by all these big kids, big kids that were, they all look like men to me. And I was this little pipsqueak. And I, um, there was a big hill about halfway through. And this is the first time I realized I could run up hills yeah. pretty well. And I went, for, I was sitting in about 20th place. And going up this big hill, I just, it just felt easy. And I remember I overtook every single person in the mm. field. I got to the top of the hill and I looked back and I'm like, what, 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 what's happened? Yeah, yeah. What, what's going on? And I just I remember. You think that as a kid because you don't expect it. Yeah. I I was shitting myself. I'm yeah. like I'm in front, yeah. and like I turned the nearest guy was like 50 meters yeah. behind me, mm. and I was like, oh, I could win this. Mm. And this is how, like, my had a bit of a love hate relationship with my dad. Mm. When you come out on top of this hill, all the all the spectators can see oh. everybody, but up until that point, they can't see you. Yeah. And from about a direct line of sight of probably more than a kilometre, I heard my dad screaming. And I looked over and I could see him jumping up down like a, up and down like a madman. It's like, go, Daniel! And so I just like adrenaline and like my legs were burning. I had to run down this hill. And I remember it was just the steepest hill. And then um, this kid caught me. And, oh, no. But every time we came to an uphill, 
I would pass him again, mm-hmm. and then he would catch me on the downhills, mm-hmm. and we just neck and neck all the way, and he got me on the last the last bit of the race was like a, a thirty meter downhill, yeah. and he got me just going past. He collapses over the finish line, just beat me, and then I mean I was stoked, but I mean I was like oh so close to winning, mm-hmm. and um. Yeah, and it's funny, we were both called Daniel, and I remember they had a guy on the microphone going, and here comes Daniel, and he passes Daniel, and it was, I just have this vivid memory of thinking that was really confusing for the people yeah. that were watching. It's like they're... <laughs> Trying to give him cons- yeah. constructive criticism. Yeah, <laughs> and then anyway, um, so yeah, and then that was when I realised, you know, I, I wasn't too bad. So yeah. yeah. So did you ever think you'd go on further with running and be an Olympic athlete or anything? Um, push oh. that hard? No, yeah, you don't really. You don't. That's 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 unusual for someone to to, to be thought like did, that. Did I think that, yeah. or did my dad? No, you thought. No, you? Oh, I guess no. I like every kid. I dreamed mm. that like mm. it would be amazing. You know, I have these visions of running into the Olympic Stadium mm. in the marathon and and being the first. You know, like that's like the ultimate fantasy. Like a a footy player, a kid imagining winning, kicking the winning goal of a, of the yeah. It's ultimate dream, but I was never like I wasn't like the best best. Yeah. You know, there were, there, were, I knew, there were guys who I was friends with who were much faster than me, mm-hmm. and so um, but yeah. All right. So um, when you were at school, then what 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 was the uh, the career path looking like? What were you thinking that you're going to do when you finished schooling? So in high school, yeah. it's so funny. We had to go and visit our careers advisor, mm-hmm. and I remember in school, like I mean, my my. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And we had to go into our careers advisor. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget this. And my careers advisor thought I was the biggest smart ass. But I was always interested in astronomy. And so we had to go in and tell him exactly what we wanted to do when we left school. And I said, I want to be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. And he thought I was being a smart ass. <laughs> and like and, and maybe on some level I was, but I'm still really interested in astronomy. I think it's fascinating. And um but he was no help. So yeah, that was where, and then <laughs> he had a job though. Yeah, I know. But to be honest, I actually thought that I wanted to be a teacher, yeah. and I did work experience as a teacher, and um, that's sort of where I ended up uh, in the long. But you know, so, yeah. yeah. And so, at, you went straight straight to uni, yeah, to teaching. No, um, not at have all. A gap, have a gap ten years. <laughs> I I had a gap a few years. I went into um, I left high school and then I went into a. Um, I, I started working. I just wanted to get a job, so I got a job as a um, as a landscaper, and so I did I did horticulture and landscaping for about five years, mm. and I uh, I liked it. It was very physical. So I guess another example. It's kind of a fun thing where you just earn a bit of money in it. Yeah, but I had a full time job, mm. and so I was working full time. And I remember straight out of school, I was working like forty hours a week, mm. and um, and it's it's you know you're outdoors a lot, and so, but I remember. Thinking at that time, oh, how how fit I was, mm-hmm. like, I, and this yeah. is eighteen, nineteen, mm-hmm. and, you know, and my life went between, and you know, I would go doing a typical eighteen, nineteen year old thing, where I would work for forty hours a week, and then spend all my money on booze on the weekend, mm-hmm. which is you know, normal, normal for that age, and I, but you know, and then live, spend the whole week regretting that I'd spent all my mm-hmm. my pay mm-hmm. on alcohol. And um, so, you know. You didn't notice a pattern? <laughs> oh, look, mate, I, I noticed the pattern, but I was an idiot. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but, you know, it only took me about 20 years to figure that out. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and uh, Bertie tells me that you were a bit of a musician then, too. When was a. 
when when did the music come in then? Oh no, yeah, I played um I played guitar from when I was about fifteen. Yeah. Um, I started playing. My uncle showed me a few chords one day, and um, then my mum bought me a, a like a two hundred dollar guitar, and I started playing. That would have been it. a lot. Yeah, mm. it was it was and it was a good. It was a good little guitar, which I've still got. And, um, it's Nylon? No, steel string, acoustic guitar. And it's actually it's still quite playable. Because mm-hmm. I, like, I loved it. Like, that was something I thought, I want to be a professional yep. musician. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to play and play and play. And um, so all th- I did music all through high school. Mm-hmm. I was more musically focused. I was more interested in the arts than I was in, mm-hmm. in sport. And so um, I really... It's an art form. Yeah, it is. It is. I loved. I loved. Like, I did drama. It was mm. a great place to meet girls. Mm. And and and, and uh, but also, I actually enjoyed it. For I learned a lot out of it. You know, I did plays and stuff. I did music and um. So yeah. Yes. It was uh, really um. Were you in a band then? Not in high school. When I just finally went to uni, I um started up a couple of bands. I got involved in in a few bands. The and, leather pleasure toys. How do you know about this? <laughs> the leather pleasure toys, yes. How do you know? Captain Cork. How do you know about all this? Go on. Yes, I was in, I was in two bands in, so at uni. I'm serious. There's, it's not anywhere on Facebook. Oh, it's all over Facebook, mate. You're a, you're a mate. You're like a better researcher than... Yeah. Anyway, Go on, tell us about yeah, the I was, leather I was pleasure in, toys. I was in a band called the Leather Pleasure Toys, which yeah. was obviously meant to sound a bit kinky and a bit fun. And we were a, a 70s funk band. In the 80s? In, in the 90s? No, in the 2000s. Oh, right. So, Gosh. <laughs> and um, we were in, this is in Wollongong, which was the 90% of the bands, or 99% of the bands in Wollongong were like heavy metal or like punk bands and... We thought, let's start a, a 70s disco band and just a bit of fun. And so we had a sax player and like good vocalists and lots Did of... Did you sing? No, I didn't actually. We had a couple of guys... At that, their request. <laughs> no, we had a couple of guys who were really good singers. Yeah, I was a sort yeah. of lead guitarist and um, a lot of wah-wah pedal. <laughs> and so you think of like, um, yeah, it was good times. We had, and we entered like a battle of the bands mm-hmm. and um, for, as a joke... And we all wore safari suits and we got very, it was just as a fun thing. And it was this battle of the bands. There was like, I think it was $1,500 prize money and we won. Mm. And, and it was, we beat all these like real serious bands yeah. that were like, and they were all so pissed off at us. But yeah. we're like, woo. And then we're like, you know, we'll keep getting gigs. And we just got off gigs all over the place. And um, yeah, we had a great time. We were together for a couple of years and um, we recorded a, we did record a, an album. Mm-hmm. It's pretty average, but like I, I, I put it on now and again as a bit of a laugh because like all the songs are, it just it was actually the songs are good. It's just recorded um could have been recorded a bit better. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we um and my other band that I was in was just like a a, a folk band like a Captain Cork. Captain Cork. Mm-hmm. Seriously, how do you know this? <laughs> like the New Zealand version of Captain Cook. Yeah, the, the reason why it was called Captain Cork. I can't believe I'm telling you this. Um, <laughs> is yeah, it was um, the one of the other guys in the the band. He had drawn a picture of Captain Cook when he was a kid, mm-hmm. and it was on his wall for mm-hmm. years. 
But he'd written Captain Cork by accident underneath. Mm. And so that's just, this is called, it didn't, the name didn't really matter. So we just played cafes and stuff. Actually, in my second year of uni in the early 2000s, I was making, because I had a job at Bunnings Warehouse as well, mm-hmm. I was making more money from being in bands than I was from working at Bunnings. So it was really good. It was a good time. You know, it was about when I was about 24. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, finished teaching after that and then kept playing. I thought, you know, I could be a professional musician and then, Got busy teaching and I don't know. My, I still love music and I still love to play now and again. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think running has become more, it became a more important part of my life. Probably when I met my wife, um, um, Kate, because, and she wasn't a runner at all. Like she was I not. I reckon a, her sister, I went to school with your, I'm, I'm too old for your wife. Like yeah. I, I went to school with her sister. She got. Four, is it four girls? Am I right? There's three of three, them. Right. Three, right? Sorry, I yeah. remember. Uh, so yeah, I was in the same class as your wife's sister, and so I thought that she was. A, did she run or not? Um, well, I think sister? they've all got a bit of um, sprinting ability. I in just them. remembered something. Yeah, about that, yeah, but um, and I know that Kate's grandmother, their grandmother, was a good runner. Okay. But um, so there's some genetics there, and mm. so um, yeah. So but, anyway, I interrupted. So you were. So she was more of a runner, right? She wasn't a runner oh, right. at all. She wasn't. And I, but so probably I was, so I mean, like a lot of people, I ran through, like, I did a lot of unstructured running, mm-hmm. which you probably can that's relate to. That's just running. That's just yeah, fun. Yeah, without, with, with no plans or anything mm-hmm. from, from the, probably all of my 20s, yep. you know, and um, entered a few races here and there, but nothing serious. Mm-hmm. And then um, we, I met my wife and anyway, we, yeah. At uni or not? No, when I moved out to uh, moved to Broken, Broken Hill, Hill yeah. as a teaching position. A lot of good good people come from Broken Hill. Oh, the, it's a quality town. Not the is... smartest people in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't happen to be from Broken no, Hill. I tell, but... I tell my parents apparently apparently uh, there was some report came out when when I was in early high school from the New South Wales government that said um, due to the lead dust it's causing ten percent because there is lead dust causing a 10% decrease in the IQ of the children in Broken Hill. So I tell my parents, imagine how smart I could be if we didn't live in Broken Hill. Yeah, be a rocket scientist. <laughs> oh, I could say a rocket surgeon. Yeah, a rocket surgeon. <laughs> um, so you met her there, yeah? Yeah, so you... I, I met her there and we, um, a bit of a whirlwind romance. And then it was around that when, like, we, we, we sort of, pretty early on in our relationship when we got pregnant with, or my wife got pregnant with, our first child, our daughter, and it was around that time. I was like, you know, I want to run a marathon when I've got for my to show my daughter that I can do it. And I thought, so I started training. Remember, you know, you know. Yep. It was more. It was more. It was like something to focus on for a few months. And um, so she was when she was born, and I, I ran my marath- the Sydney marathon when my daughter was six months old, and my wife had made. So hang on, were you living in Sydney? You weren't. No, no. We, we, we travelled over for a, a, a weekend and right. um, it was fantastic, you know. Like, and my wife had made me up this shirt with a picture of my daughter on it. And, mm. and, and I ran with that. <laughs> You're rolling your How eyes. How cute. It was cute, yeah. But I mean, like, and I just, you know, mm-hmm. like, I've only wore the shirt that one time. But, and, um, Could get some more mileage out of it. Oh, no. It's, Wearing uh, your first 100 miler, maybe. Maybe. It was, a, it was a, um, a Bond shirt. To be honest, it's actually not that comfortable to run in. <laughs> yeah, you learn, you yeah. learn that. That's some, some of yeah. the early lessons that no one tells you. 
yeah. isn't it? Like the types of materials to use yeah. and things. If you if you if you value your nipples, exactly, don't run in cotton shirts exactly. like that. Yes. But yeah, so and, that and that. so um, when how long did you how long were you in Broken Hill for? Uh, five years. Okay, was that before? Because yeah. I knew you went to Tipperbury as well. How um, do you know all this? How do I not know it? We had Tipperbury before that. Yeah, I was. So I spent. Um, Tell the listeners about Tipperbury. Most people have not heard of Tipperbury. Some would have. But. So, yeah, my first year out of uni, um, the opportunity came up. I wondered if that's where it was. Yeah, came up to go and, and um, work in Tipperbury, mm-hmm. which is remote, remote New South Wales. Very remote. And it's, so basically, if you're looking at the map of New South Wales, Tipperbury is right up in the corner. They call it corner country. So just 50 kilometres to the north, you've got the Queensland border. And about the same distance to the west, you've got the South Australian border. And so... And the place where all three meet, Cameron yeah, Corner. Yeah, Cameron Corner. And it's, so Tipperborough is just, it's got a, a pop, it had a population of 100 people, lots of cowboys. Um, there were, I think there were, there were two pubs, the Family Hotel and the Tipperborough Hotel. They called it the two-storey because it was the only building in town with two storeys. <laughs> Very creative. So yeah, I went out... The opportunity came up. I worked up there for a year, and um, it was good money, you know, like because you know the, the department zone allowance, something, isn't it? The Department of Education paid seventy percent, no, ninety percent of my rent. Mm. So I was, and, and they, they give you a free, an extra week of school holidays a year or something. Yeah, because you need to travel. Yes. It's just to get to Broken Hill, yeah. the nearest major town, and that's three hundred and fifty kilometres away, mm. and um, to get to Adelaide is like an eight or nine hour drive yeah. and that's and so and sydney is like i don't know ridiculous yeah. yeah and so it's it's difficult and if you're gonna like and the doctor only would come once a week or the flying doctor would come once a week so yeah there's weather permitting there's reasons why it was hard to live to there home, yeah. yeah and i but it was good because they gave you a house yeah. i lived in teacher housing it was a, a it was tip of our outback school of the air so <laughs> I did a lot of, um, I did some face-to-face teaching. I did some um, teaching that had pretty good technology, uh, that amazing technology. And so we were teaching kids that were living out on these remote stations mm. and we'd get to go and visit them from time to time. And yeah, I was there for a year and yeah, I loved it. Like mm. it was hard sometimes, but I mean, it wasn't something I wanted to do forever, mm. but um, it was good. It's a learning experience. Yeah, and I used that time and I did go running up there mm. a fair bit. Because and what I would do because it's very it's isolated, flat too, isn't it? super flat, mm. really interesting landscape mm. though. Yeah. And I would quite often just run out of town, um, uh, and the, on the common, like the Tipperbara Common, yeah. was surrounding the whole town. But I would run as far. I'd just keep running in a straight line oh. out of town mm. through the scrub mm. until I couldn't see the town anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I would turn around and follow my footsteps back. Mm-hmm. Pretty dangerous. But I loved it, you know. I, it was, and that was where I started to sort of reconnect with running a bit. And I would just go and go and go and like, you know, um, yeah. It wouldn't have been many runners in town though. That's not exactly <laughs> a club. No, there was no runners in town. There was um, a lot of drinkers in yeah. town, and and um, that's about it. And so, mm. but you know, that was a period of my life. And then I I, I used that period to save money, and then I went and. Moved to Japan for twelve months. Yes, and I so noticed that. Tokyo, um, <laughs> two thousand six. Um, How do you know? That? 
You put that one on a podcast yourself. Oh, there you go. So, well researched. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you must have had a goal then to do that. Like that, honestly, you don't just accidentally go to... I can understand you're getting posted mm. to Tipperborough, but uh, you go to Japan. You must have had a, like something in mind to go and have a different experience. You must, have been, you must be a uh, kind of an itchy foot sort of bloke. Yeah, I was a bit. Well, I took... It was my plan to go to um, Japan... Before I even graduated uni, I wanted to do that. And um, I actually had applied for a job and got the job and was going to go, but then I got the posting to Tipperborough. And so I delayed um, the job by 12 months. And so um, I thought, well, I knew the Tipperborough job was only going to be a year. And then I... I um, so similar you, metropolises too, aren't they? Going from a, <laughs> a town to of... Tokyo. <laughs> it was the ultimate culture shock. Yeah. So I went from um, the... Tipperborough summer, where it was like 45 degrees. Overnight. And then within a few weeks, I, um, I went and you know, spent Christmas with my family. Then in January, of, I think 2007, I went and I was, I was in Tokyo where it was bleak and cold and wet and like um, a population of 34 million people. Mm. But, oh, I, mean, I loved it. Oh, I, yeah, I... I I I, used to, I was I just thrive on new experiences yeah. like that. Yeah. I wanted to throw myself as far out of my comfort zone as possible. I couldn't speak Japanese except to how to order a beer when I first got there, but um, I loved it. Mm. But I'd go everywhere and I'd carry my little guidebook with yeah. with how to speak like different phrases, yeah. and I busted out all over the place. And I looked like an idiot, but yes. I didn't care because yes. I was using it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, good. Um, and so when you come back, did you move back to Broken Hill then? Is that what it was, or Adelaide? You must have. Ah, uh, I lived in. I've lived all over. So I had a. I moved around. I lived in Sydney for a while, and uh, I got back, and then I lived in, right. in Queensland, and then I got a position in Broken Hill. So where did you do your first, uh, either marathon or ultra marathon? Where was that? Was that? Oh, that was Sydney, or was it before that? You did know nothing before that. Was I did my first um, marathon in Sydney. Yeah. I did my first half marathon. At the Sydney Morning Herald Half Marathon in 1999. So you I was still a teenager. Yeah. Half Marathon. That was a good one. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know. And I, so I, and then my next Half Marathon, um, which I decided to do, was the Green Belt in Adelaide. That was the next Half Marathon. That's the first Half Marathon I did in Adelaide. Yeah. Yeah. That, I did that 13 years later. So there was a 13-year gap between my first Half Marathon mm -hmm. And my almost second. was for me too. Yeah, yeah. and um, so it's funny, and obviously it was a lot faster. And, and at that point, I was training for the Sydney Marathon, so I was a little bit fitter. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, and so we just and then we moved from Broken Hill to Adelaide, and um, my wife and I, we and we had our daughter mm -hmm. Avi. She was only a baby still. We didn't have anywhere to live at the time, so we were living in a tent down at West Beach. When I first did Eurovilla. Wow. Yeah. We'd only, I mean, when I say first, we were only there for like a week. Mm -hmm. or, and then we found a, a place to rent. And then we lived in the rental for a year and we bought a house. So you must have signed up for the Eurovilla before you came to Adelaide then. Yeah. yeah. And I, I did. And I was training out in, um, in Broken Hill. And as you know, Broken Hill's fairly flat. No, there's some hills. There are a few hills it's around. called Broken Hill. I know. Well, I, I went out and I would just would go and well, run to the scrub. It's not Broken Mountain. Yeah. I, I don't know. If Anyone who's been to Broken Hill or um, the, the um, I did a lot of my training on, because I thought I've got to try and get some real elevation. Mm. And um, so there was a hill just out of town on the Sydney Road, Round Hill. You know, are you familiar? Yeah. I ran up and down Round Hill 
as much as I could. Wow. And um, I just, it was good. And I think that was I actually... I walked today from school a couple yeah. of times, from Williama High School. I just looked. I remember looking out there a couple of times. At, uh, it's about probably eight k's across the scrub from mm. the school to Round Hill, this big you know, iconic hill. Just oh, walking straight across country to that just for fun. It is beautiful. Like, I highly recommend it. It's one of the highest points in town. I'm not sure if it's the highest point, but... It, the water tanks around Broken Hill are all on the highest points. Oh, there you go. I know because my dad worked for the water board and they were all gravity fed. They pump water up to the water tanks and then they will gravity feed to the houses. So uh, okay. wherever you see a water tank, that's one of the highest hills. Um, you get a beautiful 360 degree mm. view from the top of Round yeah. Hill though. Like it is just, and look, I, I, I'm, I was in love. When I was in Tipperbara, I fell in love with the outback mm -hmm. and that's why I went back to, was happy to go to Broken Hill. Mm. And, um, you know, it's a great, and Broken Hill. It needs an ultramarathon. It does. It does need an ultramarathon. One day. One day. Yeah. Uh, so give me, give me more of your history of your races and your race history. So you've done, uh, so you did the Yarrabilla in uh, 07, 06, what was it? No, Yarrabilla, I did do, I did that in um, 2013. Right. So oh, way more recent. Okay. More, yeah, more recent. There's still yeah. six years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, that was my first uh, ultra. And... Um, yeah, and I remember when I finished that, I felt like I'd been run over by a bus. Because I'd, I'd been doing a lot of road running at that point, and I just had no idea about how to pace. And so I went... I, I paced, road pace. I went road, road pace for the hills. Mate, I was, I still finished in the top 40. I had a really good, pretty good run generally. But I, I walked most of the last 10Ks, mm. and I still did it in six and a half hours. Mm. So I think that year, if I had been a bit more sensible with my pacing i could have probably gone a lot quicker yeah. but um you live and you learn yeah, i think i did similar to 632 i reckon the first yeah. year i did it in that muddy course yeah yeah, yeah that was tough mm. but no um the year i the first year i i did it was pretty warm and then the, in 2013 i did it oh so after the first year i did it um then someone convinced me straight away oh, i do heisen the heisen 105 mm. this is in 2013 mm -hmm. and so i've done my first ultra and then I, a month later, signed up for the next one, tried to do the training I could, no idea, really, mm. and first DNF. Yeah. And, um, it and at was, what point in the race did you think, there's a possibility I won't finish? Um, it wasn't until I... Uh, so there's a section in, in the Heisen where between section... Uh, sorry, aid station two and three, which a lot of people know, it's a pretty tough... It's very. It's, a, it's like twenty-two kilometer segment. Steep parts. This we're, we're going across all the um, paddocks, and it's like oh. you're exposed a lot. And it's, I don't know. It's just the thirty k's in, forty k's in. Oh, it's, so checkpoint two is at the thirty-seven k mark, okay. and checkpoint. Oh, I think I do know. Yeah, it, yes. or thirty-five k's mm. to, to fifty-seven, mm. and it is. Yeah, that just destroyed There's me. Some I, steep paddocks. I ran out of water, and it was a hot day, oh, yeah. and um, I ran out of water early mm. and um i didn't i didn't fill it didn't up properly it up, yeah. um it was only probably half full and i just suffered and mm. mentally i just was like i'm done yeah. and i thought i mean it was between that section where i was like not only am i not going to finish this yeah. i knew I, i'd given yeah, up i might and, not make it to the aid station i might i'm, I'm probably going to die because i've got no water <laughs> like i was so it's quick how how fast mm. that how fast that thought comes in. And I've never done this, and it's never done it since, and I know it's kind of bad etiquette, but I genuinely thought I was in serious trouble. Yeah. And there was a girl, a young woman, mm -hmm. running, and I could see her going through these undulating sections 
seemed to go on forever and ever in Hyacinth, and it was hot. She's in front of you? She was, mm -hmm. Yeah, she was a couple of hundred metres in front of me, and I was trying to catch her, mm -hmm. and there was a, a wind, there was a headwind, so she, and I was yelling out to her. She can't hear you. She couldn't hear me, because the wind, my voice was getting carried yeah. away. Yeah. And so I, um, I just keep, I kept on like trying to catch her, and I finally got within enough so she could hear me, and mm -hmm. she stopped, and I, I begged her for some water. I like I, just, I hadn't, yeah. I hadn't had anything for about ten k's, and I was like really thirsty, yeah. and I knew I was in trouble because I wasn't sweating. Yeah. Oh. And and um yeah. and um and then so she only had five hundred mils on her, but she gave me half of her water. Yeah. She's like an angel, yeah. and I was so. And then I was able to walk till I got to the road, and then there was someone there who there was there was a water there was a thing of water there, so I filled up. But by then. I was mentally, I'd already made the decision that I was done. However, I got down to the aid station, mm. had something to eat, my wife Skull was there, five liters. and started, kept going. Yeah. Made it about another three kilometers, and then I sat down on the side of the trail, and I said, I'm done, right. <laughs> I'm done. You know, so it was, a, it was a huge learning curve, and it was the, I was, it was the most disappointed I've ever been. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, since then, I've realized that just a running race like i love it but it's like so i promised myself to be a lot smarter with my running from then on and but i also promised myself i wouldn't let it affect me that bad if yeah. things don't go to plan you know it's just running yeah. i chose to be in that situation up for fun yeah so get over yourself dickhead yeah. that's what I, I decided and so and i mean i've had a few dnfs since then for various reasons yeah. and it doesn't i'm just like it's disappointing but it's like Oh well, shit happens. Mm. Let's move on, yeah. you know. And um, so anyway. Yes. So and, and after that one, so you've done some other. I just want to get more into. Uh, that. Yeah. The, the, so you you don't I, have to tell me all the numbers and things, but I just want to know the race you've I, done. So I done did. That. I so I DNF'd Hyson. Then a year later, I thought I'm going to go back and do Hyson, even though I didn't. I was terrified of it. I wanted to finish it. Running more marathons in between. No, I didn't. Yeah. So um, what else? I can't remember what I did in that year. I did do something. Of some things, and then, but I went back and did Hyson, got it finished. It wasn't especially quick, but I just wanted to get it done. It was a great feeling. Um, then I, um, what else did I do? What else? I've done, I've done Urabilla a couple of times since then. There was one year where it was extremely hot, I think it was 2014. It was a really hot year, mm -hmm. and um, it was my slowest Urabilla, and I had a um. But I got it finished. Mm -hmm. It was it was one I wanted to quit, but yeah. I didn't. Yeah. So that I proved to myself that you know I can do this. No That's when what. you learned that feeling mm. of of um, when you thought, okay, well I I'm going to have to walk here, yeah. and you know you walk a heap like five k's or ten k's or whatever it's going to be, and you think, well I've actually still you know I've just lost half an hour or something, whatever it is, but you've still made progress, and then oh my god, I can actually. Run a bit more. Yeah, exactly. Still, I didn't think I'd get to this point, but I just drank a heap of water and yeah, I can keep so going. You've yeah. got to trust sometimes. And like, I might feel shit now, mm -hmm. but in 20 minutes, I'm going to feel different. You know, mm -hmm. that might mean I might feel worse, but I might also feel a little bit better. Yeah. You know, so you just... Your you, body needs some time to, to repair itself a little bit. Tiny yeah, bit yeah absolutely. So I'm just trying to think more races. Um, I guess I did a lot of local races. I did Urabilla... The third time I did Urabilla was my best Urabilla um, by a long shot. And not so much, I mean, time-wise it was a decent PB, but it was because of what had happened um, 
just just um, there was the uh, in 2016, early in 2016, probably uh, March, early April, no, early March. Anyway, I had um, I had major surgery on my on my jaw. I had to because a few years earlier I'd broken my jaw quite badly in a fall at home, and um, I don't know if I've ever told you that. No, one I heard you fell. First thing I think is how do you fall over? Anyone can trip over. I, I, I fainted. So basically, a few years previous, I I got up too quickly. That thing yeah. when you you know, know you, see, you see stars. Yeah. yeah, that's orthostatic hypertension. Mm-hmm. So I had been asleep and I got up really quickly and mm-hmm. I stood up and I fell over and landed on my face and and I broke my jaw really badly and um so that was like a pretty bad period and it was a long recovery for that. But then it was the jaw was so badly broken that I had to wait a couple of years and have a, another operation to get it to fix it properly because I couldn't eat properly because my teeth weren't meeting, um, and so I um, <clears throat> went into the Royal Adelaide Hospital um, to have this double jaw operation. So they had to re-break my jaw, the upper jaw and the lower jaw, and um, do some serious like moving pieces around, taking out bits of bone, and um, they re-put it together. And now I have like 24 screws in my face for the rest of my life, um, titanium screws and a bunch of plates and whatnot. But um, after the operation, they, um, they wired my jaw shut. And so I had to have it wired shut for 32 days. So with this big splint in my mouth at the same time. So I couldn't, not only could I not eat, for the first five days, I couldn't even swallow liquid, you know. So I, for five days, I, in hospital, the, um, I was on just a drip, mm. and that was the only thing that was keeping me alive. Um, it was terrible. But, and so, and I was, like, I, I knew this was coming, so I was, like, Man. I'd made sure I was healthy and, and strong going in, and I was fit. Anyway, the recovery, I was in hospital for about five days or six days, um, feeling terrible, like on all the pain relief you can imagine and, um, and not being able to... It, when I finally could swallow, like, liquid, mm-hmm. they let me go home. And in the first five days, I lost, like, six kilos. And I'm a, I'm a little You're guy. Small. Yeah, so I was really small. My wife said I looked like a bobblehead, you know, because I just had... I was just head and skin and bones. And, um, and then... So I had to have, like pureed everything and and I couldn't speak properly and had and the thing is so I was in pain but I had no energy as well like literally because there wasn't enough calories yeah, going yeah. in now, you try drinking nothing but soup and and th- stuff it goes straight through you and so it doesn't matter how much you have and anyway so I thought I'd made the decision while I was in my recovery for a few months this is a pivotal point in my life because I made my decision I was going to do Eurobilla that year. Mm-hmm. So this is March. Mm. Eurobilla was in September. And I thought, okay, I've got to recover and then get fit and then get fast. Mm. And um, so every day I would get up and I would take my dog for a walk around the block really slowly. And um, we would just, you know, because I didn't have much energy, I would just walk, you know, a couple hundred metres, then come home and then sleep because I was exhausted. 
and um, day in, day out. And then one day, my dog, we're walking down the street, and he, the postman drove past. My dog went bonkers, and it, there must have been a weakness in the lead, right. and it broke, and he <laughs> took off. And I was like, no, no. And I, I couldn't keep up with him. I couldn't chase him. My dog disappears. He ran off. Never done it before in his life. He just keeps... And like, I was just like, where are you going? He's freaking out. And I, I'm yelling at, trying to yell at people on the street with my mouth wide shut. I look like a freak. It was exactly like that. <laughs> and anyone who knew me at that time knew that, I mean, it was a horror. I looked like crap. I felt like crap. But anyway, so I was, but we eventually found the dog. He, mm-hmm. My wife went off and found him. He was just around the corner. And, um, but I, um, just kept getting better and better and slowly each day I'd walk a little bit further, mm-hmm. a little bit longer. And then once I could start eating again, I started jogging really slowly, like just really easy. And, um, and then started cranking out some elevation and then getting some quality training in. And by the start of September, I was like, well, it's on. I, yeah. I feel good. Brilliant. And then, yeah, so I ended up doing 609 in, in, um, in Urabilla. And it was, it was a good moment. And it was the first time my wife had done it as well, Urabilla. And so it was a really, to go from that and to go from being completely broken and just feeling like a piece of shit to that the top point. of the world. Yeah, it was King amazing. Yeah. And so that leads on to one of my other questions. So what's your, um, so I, I think everyone's got these moments where you just never forget. Mm. And so is that, or what would you say is been your best experience or day that you've ever had running, either either a race oh. or, or training, like when you just think that was perfect, everything was just beautiful that day? That's a really good question. I had a few pretty amazing days, and um, that the one I just mentioned about Urubella, that was right up there. That was mm. probably, in terms of it being a good race, and a near-perfect race, didn't get, I wanted to break six hours. I didn't quite break six hours, but I was still really happy with it. Um, but the, I'd say the best day was when I did the Buffalo Stampede last year, mm. 2018, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was beca- not because it was the best possible time. I mean, it's an extraordinarily difficult race. The thing that I was happiest about with that, I mean, because the weather came in bad and it was just everything about it was challenging. I was, you I didn't had, die. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> die. I had the perfect mental game. I would say my mental game was perfect that day. There was not an ounce of negativity in my mind, despite the fact that things got worse and worse throughout the day, Mm weather-wise. It was freezing. It was windy. It was raining. It was so muddy. Like Climbing up these hills are like 45 degrees, literally hands and knees. At no point did I feel negative. And so that was the first time I I realised that how powerful my... The, not just my mind, but human minds can be. So, yeah, I, and coming into the finish, like only 50 people finished that day and because they had to ca- cancel the race because the, weather, the conditions yeah. got too bad. And um, I was in, I think I came like 30, 30th or 35th or something. I didn't even care at that point. Time wasn't important. The, it was important just to get it done. Yeah. And I, I did. I felt when I finished that race, I, I felt invincible. Like mentally, I feel like I could have turned around and done it all again. Like I um, just um, physically, I probably couldn't, yeah. but I felt so strong. So yeah, that was definitely 
one of my favourite races. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I, I was similar after that, um, the Alpine Challenge mm. last year, even though I knew I didn't have the best race. After it was like, I actually got through that and that was important. And also I enjoyed the whole thing around it, like you know, being there in the snow and... And yeah, unique experience. Yeah, yeah. and the ex yeah. like it was it was also a great um, motel we had. We had a great room, and you know we paid for it, but yeah. um, it was you got a, to enjoy it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It was you know just having a good spa at the end, and yeah. I got straight in the spa literally after the race. I just sat down, and, and my wife was making me bacon eggs, which was beautiful. And then um, I just took my sh took my shoes off and my shirt off, and just got in the spa like with the rest of my stuff still on. Um, I yeah. just sat there in the spa for about half an hour until I felt I was falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would have been a real dampener on your day if you had to drown in the spa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife was there just kind of thinking, are you still all right there? You're right, you're right. <laughs> so, yeah, yes, yes, that's yes. classic. Yeah. Um, hey, yeah. So speaking of races then, what's, what's the, the next really big, or what's, what's a, a race on your bucket list that you can actually kind of see yourself doing one day? Um, it's funny, a few... I would, I'll list two, one's more short term. So you've inspired me to do, like it's time that I grow, grow a pair and step up and do a 100 mile race. I've never done a 100 miler. I feel like I'm ready. And, just uh, a long walk. Just a long walk. <laughs> I've got to do it. Apparently it's the new, the, the new marathon. And then I'll do the 100 mile and then say, no, 200 miles is the new. I'd like to do probably the Alpine Challenge that you did last year. Um, maybe this year or, even, or next year, that would be like smash out a, a, a hundred miler. Because I do love a hill. Mm. You know, in the way you love a long run, I love a hill. Mm. Um, and the other race, the, the my ultimate bucket list race would be the Western States 100 mm. in the United States and to try and qualify for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you've got to start a few years ahead, I think. Yeah, I know. That's a couple of years down the track. I'm the same. I'm almost, I'm almost in... Um, almost think I might just read up what I have to do and, and try and qualify, you know, soonish, knowing that I probably can't afford it. But then you've got to be ready and think, holy shit, if I yeah. accidentally got through the lotto, I have to do it. Yeah, pressure's good, man. Yeah. Pressure, I, I'm, I'm firm, diamonds are made under pressure. Yeah. Cheesy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Piece of coal. Um, all right, and so, yep, yeah, you get, get through there, that's good. Um, and I was also going to ask you, what's the, what's the first piece of advice do you ever remember somebody giving you about running? Like I do remember in primary school, some mm. people giving me some advice like, Matt, do this. What's the first advice you ever remember getting? Distance uh, running? Or any, yeah. Um, so when I was doing, the, doing athletics and we were doing this summer like track and field season and I was really, we were really lucky because we had a really good sprint coach. Even though I'm not a sprinter, I used to train with the sprint squad which I think was really good for my um, technique. And the first thing I ever learnt, and it's one of the first things I say to everyone, is look at your arms. And, to, and it was just like, a, a, just a technique thing. And my, um, my arms were like so important to my overall running. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it, was just, it was just very simple. Just keep your arms... Up and down? Yeah, running. Well, keep them, don't cross the midline and don't, um, you know... So, yeah, try and be more efficient with your arms and there all the little techniques related to that. So there was, um, and I say it to everyone now, you know, hip, the, the, I don't know if you've ever heard. Cheek to cheek. Cheek to I cheek remember, or you know hip what? to hip. Do you, hip you to said, lips. I had 
um, my kids in a little course that you ran last year, yeah. and you give this, you gave this advice to the kids. Yeah. Uh, run cheek to cheek. Your hand goes from your cheek on your face to the mm. cheek on your bum, and I'd never heard that. Yeah. And I don't know how many kilometres I've run. And I do actually, I had, up to that point, I had fairly wide arms, like they'd swing out fairly wide. And the reason I used to have wide arms like that and never cared was because I knew Robert De Costello actually ran a bit like that. Yeah. I, I, that was kind of my natural style, but, um, you know, through the 80s and things, and I, and I thought, well, he's running like that. That's good for me. Exactly. Um, yeah. But, yeah, but, but you're right. The technique up and down is, is a, was a more true technique. It's, I think part of the reason that it really impacted me I mean, regard, relatively, like however much difference it actually did make, it made me realise that running was more than just one foot in front of the other. Yes. There's, there's, there is a, an art to it. Yes. And it's tech, there's actual technique, the same as yeah, you have swimming. To yeah. And, and a lot of people just think, oh, well, I'm... I'll. Just because you can get across the pool doesn't mean you can swim. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a, and it is an art form. And arms... If you are, if you use your arms properly, it sort of drives everything else. It can really, if you get good arms, yeah. Yes, no, but I also um, find or have noticed, like the longer the distances, the ultras, you've got to be a bit more conservative with energy. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So I, I've, I do find if, if, like, there's times when I'm doing a road run, like just fifteen or twenty k's or whatever it is, and I'm pumping up and down, but on the ultras, I can't. I don't think it's wise to pump them so hard. Well, up the hills, I do. When I'm when I'm going up a hill and I want to um, power walk up the hills, I, I call it like mm. a forced march. Is how yeah. I feel when I when I'm doing a hill and I want to keep mo- maintaining momentum. It's pumping those arms. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm like a steam train. So my step, step, step. Absolutely, step. the old power mm. hike. Mm. Yeah, small steps. Walking, walking with purpose. Um, with my answer to the arm thing in in ultras. They're even more important in ultras. Rather than go cheek to cheek or hips to lips, really I, I focus on a relaxed version of that. Mm-hmm. The most important thing is not to cross the midline with you, when you swing your arms, the middle Why? of your body. Why? Because you start to get um, move, hip, too much hip movement and you get too much sideways movement and there's wasted energy there and you can hurt your back. And like... There's a lot of research into not trying to change people's gait too much, mm. but that is a wholesale thing mm. that sort of generally works with most people. Um, and so, you, you, as you say, like Robert DeCostella and other great runners, they don't necessarily have the perfect form, but there's certain things that they do that, um, like, they work. we're not them. You know what I mean? I they, they work really hard. Yes. Like Haley Gebris Celesi. He's one of my favourite athletes. He, the 10,000 metre runner from Ethiopia, he hasn't got the perfect form. One arm is slightly higher than the other because he used to run to school carrying his book bag. Yeah. And so um, we, um, but we're not, we're not him. We don't going to train as hard as him. There's very, there's not many people who are going to train that hard. And, but yeah, so that, the arms are very important, but like, it's not, the only thing. And you do different techniques at different times. Like I, mm. I'll have a different technique running downhill to, to Abs- running uphill. Absolutely. I have my arms quite wide mm. when I'm running down a technical section. Like mm. I'm almost you know, balancing. Hey, on that, I was just curious too. On your opinion, would, would a person save more time if they're going to really work on something for trails to save more time to really improve their uphill running or to really improve their downhill running if they're going to spend more time on either of those two? 
That's a good question. And um, I mean, realistically, as a trail runner, you've got to be a jack of all trades. Yeah, but I and, said either. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. And I'm going to give you a, a coach's... Oh, no, I'm not going to be a fence sitter. It comes into uh, specificity. So if you're running something, like you've got to look Usually at... Usually you've got almost as much uphill as you've got downhill. Yeah. I mean, not all races. You Some know, races, true, true, if they're yeah. point to point. Yeah. Um, so generally, you might have a race that's got like 5,000 metres elevation over 100 kilometres, mm. but there still might be a, a lot of flat in it, yeah. you know? And like, um, so you need to get good at the running flat. Out, yeah. yeah. And um, they're both going to give you such different things. As far as, as far as a time, saving of time, you're going to save more time running downhill efficiently than running uphill. Okay, you get the fastest guy in the race to run up a, a mountain mm -hmm. and the slowest guy in the race to run up a mountain. Have a look at the time difference mm -hmm. versus the fastest guy in the race running down the mountain versus the slowest guy running down the mountain. And just have a look at the difference in their times. You know what I mean? Well, have you done this? What I, is it? What's the greatest? I, don't, I can't tell you numbers, but I'm going to go ahead and say downhill. Downhill. People, improve downhill. People can um, um, disagree with me. I like it when people That's disagree with me. That's quad strength too, a lot too, isn't it? It is. And because people neglect downhill. Like, you've got to train specifically like, for downhill, you know, like, and not just going, oh, I'm on running on the downhill. Um, I yeah, can relax. You're, you're more prone to injuries training the downhill. That's the issue, isn't it? Yeah, so you do have to um, be careful. Yes. Like, I look at... Um, you wouldn't want to sprain an ankle. I look at training. If you're coming from a road, coming from road running to trail running, this is the progression that I look at with everybody. So, so I don't say it out loud very often. So basically, first people have to nail the flats, mm -hmm. get really good aerobic capacity, mm -hmm. lots of that zone two running. Then I move them up onto hills, mm -hmm. going uphill, really focus on getting stronger running uphill. Okay, getting and... But that in, keeps improving your aerobic capacity too while you're exactly. training that. Yeah, but you do too much uphill yeah. and you'll, you won't, slow. you'll get slow. Yeah. You'll get strong. The top end will go. Yeah, then... The last part of the hierarchy is once you've really got stronger on the ups and gently running down, mm -hmm. then you can really focus on running downhill. And so, and some people will just start hammering downhill. It's fun. It is fun, but it'd be more fun if you can do it quickly yeah. and you can do it without getting injured because that's where most, I don't know anyone who's been injured running uphill. Yeah. They've been tired yes. and... Yes. But like it's so weird. I I, I look at. No, no, they they work. I'm 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 a driving instructor, as you yeah. know, and uh, so everyone is, is constantly thinking, oh, okay, you got to teach me reverse parallel park. We'll do. It. I'll do that. But um, nobody gets killed reverse parallel parking. But people yeah. do get killed turning in traffic, turning across traffic lights at the wrong time. All this sort of yeah. stuff. So that's where we spend all our time training. Is this, they stress about the wrong things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But no, I. But like I say. It depends on the race you're doing. And I'll always refer back to that. So specificity is key. So okay, you're running, you're going to run the UTMB, which has got like 10,000 metres elevation. Yeah, you need to get really good at uphill and downhill uh, to save those quads. But, running in the fog. Yeah. Oh, there's, a, there's a million things. So running and trail running more specifically, it's a thousand little things that you've got to get right. It's not one thing. All right. We're going to move on to the fast five. All right. Um, so, Daniel, your favourite things that you do at the end of a podcast that you love to ask everybody 
is your fast five. Now, I don't have I do. them in order. I don't have them in order here, but I do have your fast five. Great. Um, and so these are just quickies. So what is your favourite post-race drink? Favourite post-race drink is, uh, as a lot of people probably know, it's probably ginger beer. I don't drink alcohol. A lot of people like to celebrate. I only like to celebrate with a, gin- a ginger beer. Probably better for recovery too. Yeah. Um, and, well, what is your favourite type of workout? Um, I'm a bit like you. I do like a long run. Um, I like a progressive long run. So where I'm building up towards race pace. And because at the moment, because I'm training for a marathon, I'm enjoying more and more of those. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, and what, any celebrity, any celebrity, living or dead, who would you like to go for a run with? You know what's really crazy is... No, you tell me. <laughs> I've never actually thought about it that much, but I... Now will... you know how your guests feel. I know. There's so many people, <laughs> and I often say, look, it doesn't have to be a runner. But yes, it would be a runner. I'd probably like to go for a run with Pat Farmer, ah, the guy who yes. ran from... Australian guy, ran from pole to pole, and yeah. I followed it on YouTube and on Facebook, and incredible guy. He's done heaps, raised so much money. Yeah, nice guy. I'm oh, good. Um, and headphones or not? Uh, about 50-50. Um, so one ear in, one ear out? No, well, generally <laughs> I run with one ear in because I like to, if I, especially yeah, if I do be able to hear if there's cars or something if mm. I'm on the road. Yeah. Um, but no, like half the time I'll run with them on and you know, generally listen to podcasts the most. Okay. And uh, five years from now, Daniel Fruger wants to be? Um, world champion. World champion father, no. Um, father of the year. Yeah, still coaching and um, still running and maybe shave off some some times of my own. And um, yeah, I'm hoping that the, the podcast is still going, but who knows. Yeah. <laughs> and a bonus question, uh, who's your favourite child? No, I'm only joking. Favourite child? <laughs> I'm only joking. My wife. <laughs> oh, that'll get out. <laughs> All right. Well, at this point, we're going to wrap it up. So thank you very much. Thank you, Matthew. That was really fun. I, um, I've been bored along with my, uh, my life story. No, and Daniel will be back hosting next week. Trust me. Yeah. Thanks, Matthew. And uh, we wish you good luck in your upcoming races. No worries. Thanks. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Trail Runners Experience. Um, I just want to say a huge thank you to Matthew Woodman for being the guest host and asking the big questions. Uh, well done to Matthew. He uh, was clearly very well researched and I have no idea how he got some of the information that he did, especially about my uh, bands from when I was at university. But um, yeah, well done, Matthew, and good luck in your running endeavours, mate. Um, and on that note, I thought I would leave you with today on today's episode with a little sample from a little band that you may have heard mentioned in the episode, the Leather Pleasure Toys. That's right, it's my band. And so sit back and enjoy the smooth, sexy sounds of Leather Pleasure Toys. 